0: Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Ski Instructor podcast. My name is Dave Burroughs, and I'm the director and owner of Snow Bros Ski School based here in Valdilier in Switzerland. Um, it's been a long and very hot summer. Um, it's about a month or so since the last uh, podcast upload and that was with, uh, with Harry McFadden who's probably enjoying, um, enjoying the, uh, the Southern Hemisphere season uh, at the moment. Um, and that's going to continue with episode 47 um, with a guy called Federico Wenzel. And um, Federico uh, teaches in Argentina and he'll also be right in the thick of the, um, the Southern Hemisphere season as well, teaching um, teaching in Argentina. Um, it's a slight departure from the normal um, normal type of podcast that we do. It tends to be with like sort of falser um you know, trainers, uh, very highly qualified people. Um, Federico is kind of working his way through the uh, the Argentine ski instructor system, and at the same time, he's also a medical doctor. So he kind of splits his time between teaching skiing and um, and doctoring. Um, so um, I've known Frederico for a while, and, and it's been, um, been looking to get this interview to be hopefully get slightly different perspective on skiing and um and and a perspective also from someone who's kind of working their way um up the the greasy pole or up the pyramid um towards the top um which would be great um we had a lovely chat uh in um about various uh topics um we talk about kind of him his background um that kind of thing how he became a medical doctor and ski teacher um he's kind of we talk also about working his way through the argentine ski system we talk about splitting his time between europe and argentina interesting chat about the philosophy between the um contained within the argentine ski instructor system and um sort of early experiences and stuff on snow for him so um there's quite a lot of content in this and and um it's a it's a podcast that i just listened to back here in the edit and I'm, I'm very pleased with so i hope that you find it um find it very very interesting um a long hot summer here has meant that the only glacier open is uh is in saspe locally uh i haven't been skiing yet this summer um i'm probably going to go in september and i'm just trying to get myself organized because i'd like to do um a refresher this autumn, um, and I'm hoping to find a telemark refresher and go and learn something new in the autumn. So um, I'm currently sort of scouring around Swiss uh, snowsports and stuff for that, um, which should be really interesting um just got to wait for one to come up that that actually matches the dates that i can do um just waiting also then for kind of everyone to come back from the school holidays and uh and and start to think about skiing and that's going to happen in the next two weeks is all going to start to get really busy uh which is kind of why i'm getting this podcast out the way now um this podcast will also be the one that takes us through 72,000 downloads. I uh, still can't believe there's that many people are interested in listening to, to me and the various guests. But uh, for those of you that have listened, you know, thank you very much i haven't forgotten about the questions for those of you that have sent them in and uh and we i will be getting around to that i just need to get together with the person i want to do that with and um and then we'll go through that so um enjoy for you won't find me in the um in, in the middle of this one this is a straight through through episode um again thank you for listening and um i hope that you enjoy um, this interview with Federico. um, And we started off um, talking about the Southern Hemisphere season.
1: It's, I, I always get up at 6.30, 7.00, so I'm, I'm pretty much used to it. So.
0: Good. And good. So you're back in Argentina now?
1: Yeah, I'm in, in Argentina now. Yeah, I'm, I'm working as a doctor now and waiting for the next winter here.
0: <laughs> exactly. When When? does that? When, uh, so when do you get going down there?
1: We start the season here at mid-June early July. Uh huh. Every every year, and and we finished like, uh mid October, I think. Okay. On so a regular basis, yeah.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. It's it's a reasonably long season then. Sorry. It's a like a reasonably long season.
1: Yeah, it is actually. It is, yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, we have very good here in Argentina. Maybe it's not very well known in the world, but. We have pretty good snow here in, in the Andes Mountains.
0: And, and where are you based right now? So you're, you presume you don't, do you live in the mountains all the time?
1: Yeah, I'm based on a city called El Bolton. It's in the northern part of uh, Patagonia, Argentina. Mm-hmm. It's like a city of uh, 50,000 people. And that's uh, when I grew up and. That's where I'm living right now. But um, I, I travel a lot uh, with the medical doctoring mm-hmm. in Argentina. Yeah. And um, uh, in the summer here I travel abroad you know, to the North Hemisphere to to be instructor as well.
0: Yeah. So where were you where were you where were you this winter? Where, what resorts did you uh, did you visit this winter? Where were you teaching?
1: This winter I went to it uh, Italy, mm-hmm. the Trentino area. Okay. Uh, I went to the huge uh, Madonna di Campiglio ski domain area.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I worked in a ski resort called Marileva. Um, I worked like for almost two months. And it was like uh, a very good experience. It, it was my first time in Italy, mm-hmm. but I really liked it. It was very good. Uh, I had a good time there. I worked a lot, and uh, it, was, it was very good. That, that was the first time in, in Europe for me, you know. But, uh, this time I went to Italy, I never been there. I was uh, going to the US before, to the Rockies. Colorado, so uh, completely different snow uh, from what I what I think Italy has. Yeah. Uh, but particularly this year was uh, really, uh, really dry. You know this mm. this winter there in Italy was really really dry. So the the snow was like almost one hundred percent artificial. You know, amendments made so. Yeah. Um but it's way better than <laughs> no snow at all, you know? But Yeah, uh, I agree. That's a huge difference from, from here, mm-hmm. uh, Argentina, that we have uh, mainly natural snow. We depend on, on the weather. Um Here in Argentina, uh the resort I, I live uh, in El Rosón, it's called Cerro Perito Moreno. Uh, the snow, it's like um, kind of a uh, a little bit wet and heavy snow, so it's a very good uh, surface for for racing. Yeah. And carving, um, but we don't have that uh dry, uh light powder there. For example, in in the Rockies now, in, in Colorado, in the US.
0: Yeah, this is what I was going to ask you about. So so um you know with regards to kind of the, the differences in snow and how that affects the different movements and stuff that you make how how do you find US skiing compared to to argentine or, or european skiing what's your like did you have to adapt much to the different type of snow or is it kind of snow is snow how how do you how do you look at it
1: um no actually I think that the snow there in the, in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado because uh, um, I think that in the in, in the East Coast in the US is different but in the Rockies uh, the snow is really lightweight very lightweight so I think it's way much easier to ski you know mm-hmm. um, we were doing like um, off-piste skiing with uh, slalom race, FIS skis, mm-hmm. and like nothing, you know. It was like really easy because the snow is really lightweight, so you can be deep in the snow and you can turn and, and rotate the skis. Easy enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heavier the snow, the the more you need to to float above, you know. Yeah. So you need another tool, like an, an off-piste and backcountry ski. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that the the quality of snow they have in the Rockies is the best I've, I've ever had. Mm. I think that's... Um, so, but for on-piste skiing, um, I think it's a little bit softer if you really want to push it, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, so it doesn't support... So it doesn't support such kind of extreme pressures and extreme edge angles. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, I think that you have to be a little bit more careful, you know, because you cannot, like, commit 100% to to um, big edge angle, you know, hit dragon and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, well, uh, because, because you end up going through the surface. The, uh,
1: yeah. I prefer that kind of snow in, in the overall, you know, because the, the off-piste is just... Amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I've heard of this, and and every now and then in the Alps you get um, you get a day like that where the off piste is fluffy and light, and it's uh, you know to to a large extent it's temperature dependent. So where we are here in the Port de Soleil, the snow when the snow falls, it falls quite humid. So when you are skiing off piste, it's heavy, and you have to make certain movements, like you say, to get your skis to float. Um, or you know, use a slightly wider ski in order to get up on top of it. It's not that kind of, you know, amazing stuff that just sort of when you you ski through it, it just sort of floats away. You know, that's a that's that comes rarely to this part of the Alps. Um, yeah. But I guess they have that there. It's quite yeah, famous but, for it. I know, it's not idea is the same. Yeah. Well, the Argentina has the same kind of uh, humid snow or like this light fluffy stuff that you get in the Rockies, you said?
1: No, it's the kind of uh, the humid snow.
0: Yeah, like the um, European kind of snow. I mean,
1: particularly here in the lakes district area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Cerro Catedral, Maloche, Cerro Chapelco in San Martín los Andes. And we we're uh, next to big lakes in, in the Z, actually, so it's uh-huh. always kind of humid, yeah.
0: Okay. Oh, cool! Um, all right. Well, then let's let's have a chat. Um, and carry on. I'm I've kind of already started recording, so I'm not um, I'm not going to do the whole big introduction thing. But I I'd, I'd like to know kind of more about you, how you ended up skiing, because you've got quite an interesting kind of backstory. So maybe you can tell us how you ended up being doctor and ski instructor. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, well, I was born In Buenos Aires, actually. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, But when I was like uh, three years old, and we were living there in the the big city of Buenos Aires, uh, my father uh, was robbed while at work. And after that, he kind of uh, decided that um, the family should live in. Uh, yeah, in a quieter place, you know, leave mm. Buenos Aires, the, the mess of Buenos Aires, yeah, yeah. Uh, in order to to raise the, the children in a more quiet place. Okay. So he had like uh, two options to start a chainsaw service store. Uh-huh. Uh, one option was in the northernmost part of Argentina with uh, like very hot weather, weather all the way around. Yeah. And uh, of course, no mountains and, and no snow at all. And the second option was uh, a little town called El Boson in the, in the south of Argentina uh, with a lot of mountains and regular snow in the winters. Huh? So, thankfully, yeah, I was to say
0: we nearly missed he out. Chose the ladder.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he chose the ladder, yeah. so we went uh, down there. And I always tell him, thank you. Thank you, Dad, for for your choice because <laughs> I don't know what I what I would be doing if I'm not I, I would have been instructor, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I grew up in this small town in the northwest part of uh, Patagonia. Mm-hmm. It's lying on a on a on a valley beside the Andes mountain range. Um, and I started skiing maybe. A bit late, at 14 years old. Um, okay. Maybe a bit late if uh, your goal is to achieve high in the sport, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah that's when I started and I took a big detour yeah. as well. So it's kind of, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah.
1: But anyway, um, the thing is that, uh, that that was an option for me. You know, uh, skiing was and, and still is quite expensive. So, yeah. My family uh, couldn't afford it uh, earlier in my, in my childhood. So when the possible, the kind of arrived for us, uh, thanks to my parents' uninterrupted hard work, uh, we were just like uh, three siblings about the same age, mm-hmm. um, but my friends could only uh, send us skin just one at a time. So... I asked uh, my brother and sister if they, they were interested in learning to ski, and at that time, uh, because now they're both skiers, but at that time they said, no, no, you go ahead. You're like, come on, go. Uh, but what I think is that they they actually were interested in learning to ski, but they kind of uh, yeah, saw my level of excitement to learn to ski so that I think that they agreed to
2: let me pursue
1: man. my dream. You know. Yeah. So. Oh, that's I have to. I have to thank them as well. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so I started skiing like completely by by my own actually. Mm-hmm. Um. The ski resort, the Cerro Perito Moreno. it was like um, at that time, pretty small. And it had almost uh, no beginners area it was like um, just a really short, like 30 meters long, mm-hmm. uh, green, I but it was more, cl- yeah, it was green and bluish slope. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was it for beginners. So, um, because the next run in the, in the progression was a very long black rated slope. Okay. Uh yeah. Where, where the drilling was almost non-existent. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That was the the the, the available terrain uh, at that time, you know, because now the the is way much larger. Yeah. Um. So I remember I <clears throat> I started with a friend of mine. Um. Of course, uh, we we could not uh, afford ski lessons, so. I remember we used to try to be around the, the instructors who were giving lessons to students and mm-hmm. uh, trying to to listen to whatever they were saying to the clients, you know, and in order to kind of grasp uh, some tips or, or advice on, on what to do because actually we, we had no clue, no clue at all. It was uh, completely new for us. So. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is that we did uh, just three days by our own on that uh, short uh, intermediate slope. Uh-huh. And the fourth day, we went straight up to the top of the black hole. <laughs> <laughs> it was like just uh, insane. Uh, I mean, we, we carried them, uh, some courage, but uh, I mean, zero technique. Yeah. Nothing. Um Honestly, I, I had to, like, pray before trying to make a, a turn, you know. It was, like, uh, completely lack of control. And mm-hmm. um, so, whiskey that day it was really difficult, uh, I remember. But uh, we finished with no injuries so whatsoever. So, ah, that's a I good think day. it was very good. Yeah. <laughs> very successful day, <laughs> uh, given the conditions and the slope. Yeah. But, you know, the skiing wasn't there. It just, just wasn't there. Uh, so I really struggled to, to learn to ski. Uh, it was so difficult for me with uh, tons of falling down and complete, I mean, 100% lack of control. Yeah. Um, it was so hard that I thought, you know, maybe I should just, skiing is not for me. Maybe I should stop. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know, something uh, yeah, something inside me told me like, you know, just keep going, I'll you know, keep pushing. Um so I did. I kept trying. Uh and the skin like ten days or so per season. Uh-huh. And you know, I improved a bit, but the technique really wasn't there mm. yet. So I mean all the errors, all the mistakes there are in, in skiing, all of them were present on, on my skin Um I mean I I could go down the mountain on skis, but that's not skiing, you know? Yeah. Um so I did that for a couple of years, skiing like ten days or so per season. And after that, at seventeen years old I had to move. Uh to to start college, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: I had to move uh, two thousand kilometers away okay. to the city near okay. Buenos Aires that it's called La Plata. Okay. Uh in order to start uh medical school. And those years were with just three to five days only yeah. a year of skiing, you know? Uh but they were like three days uh very efficient. Once, you know, I remember at that time, uh, internet was like really growing up fast and ski technique blog posts, uh, and videos mm-hmm. were, uh, kind of my favorite free time activity, you know? Yeah. And I started to study and, and learn a lot, uh, of correct ski technique but it was just in my head you know just the theory yeah um, I could only try to apply um, on the slopes that knowledge for just about three to five days a year and that was it
0: just, uh, um, however just while you're uh, on that topic so if you do you think because I think that you can get quite a lot even though you haven't you, you don't get the... Um, what you might call like the, the, you know, you don't get the on snow instruction, but I think yeah. by like reading books and watching videos and stuff, especially if you're like quite a visual learner, you can yeah. kind of, I wouldn't say get better just by reading and watching about skiing, but you can certainly pick up a bunch of stuff that you could, that, that will stay in your brain and then will come to you once you are on the snow with is yeah. that do you do you think that that helped that all that time that you spent watching video and 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 reading about it definitely
1: definitely that that was a life changer for me in mm-hmm. regarding skiing okay uh the the improvement on on my skiing was very fast with uh with that and it was just three to five days a, a year only yeah. So, yeah yeah uh, of, uh yeah so um i think that uh, first, to be able to understand what you have to do and what you shouldn't do, I think that's the the first step, and and then uh, we we learn through a lot of uh, ways uh, as human beings. So mm. the the visual part it's it's very important, and you don't have to be on snow uh, uh, for that. So hopefully, <laughs> thankfully, because, uh you know, uh, there's no, is not present uh, throughout yeah. the whole year, so you can be kind of uh, living skiing through a book, through a video, through a tutorial, or even a video analysis lesson too, because that's uh, very important. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very good tool, you know. Uh,
0: well, I think especially uh, if you're watching something like consciously, I think there's a difference between kind of watching a ski video and going, yeah, that's pretty rad. But like if you're watching something, with a deliberate sort of, oh, I don't know. Like I, I t- watched the odd video on YouTube. There's a couple that I go back to over and over again. I talked about it in the last la- last podcast. But like, you're looking at some of these things. It's how are the, how is that person doing that thing? Where is that movement coming from? There's a difference between just watching a ski video, you know, as leisure. And watching it with like deliberate intention to try and work out something, and learn from it. You know, I think there's a there's a big difference about how you use that.
1: Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Okay. It, it, and, and you know when when you're having a lesson and you're watching the instructor and listening to, his or her explanations, um, uh, uh, so, the it's pretty similar to, to a skill lesson on YouTube video. So that part it's, it's, I think it's the most important part in an adult. I think first because children, it's different, you know, the way we, we teach them, you know, um, but adults need to understand what they should try to do at least. Mm. And, um, but yes uh, when you look to a youtube, YouTube video uh, of a ski lesson or, or, or a ski technique video yeah. uh, you're watching it and you're trying to feel what what the person is is, is feeling and and trying to to I don't know set your brain to to understand and, and then try to repeat and apply that that movement in your arms so yeah it's i agree with you
0: definitely okay Anyway, sorry, I, I mean a tangent off then, but yeah, so, um, so you were, no, sorry, so you were, you were trying to mix getting better at skiing with your medical studies.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, so <clears throat> I was like, uh, um, <clears throat> sorry, I started skiing, uh, when I started skiing actually I was like completely self-taught, uh-huh. uh, but, uh, then I was like, uh, we can say, online taught. <laughs> yeah. So um, then the last years of college, I, I had like only final exams to, to take. So I was able to move back to Bolson, mm-hmm. uh, at least in the winters. And so I was able to ski and train a lot. And then um, I, I discovered... Uh, carving, you know, mm-hmm. the carving technique and I think that my my life changed forever since. Uh, and I started skiing and training a lot uh, with just uh, one goal and that was to, to take the the entrance test and, and pass it, hopefully, mm-hmm. to become an, an Argentinian ski instructor. Okay. And, and then... This trip of uh, like never ending learning, uh, improvement, and enjoyment uh, began, uh, you know, the, the life of the ski instructor. So, um, I think that that's one of the main reasons I became a ski instructor, you know, in the first place. Because uh, learning to ski for me was extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And being uh, an instructor allowed me to kind of facilitate the learning process of new years and yeah, and contribute to this, this uh, amazing sport growth. You know. Yeah. So well, that's one that's of the things uh, I was gonna say is
0: that um, like that those early experiences where you kind of, you know, you're hanging around other instructors or nearby, maybe you pick up a tip here and there. Those kind of. Like I'm, I'm quite conscious of that. Every now and then when I'm on a beginner slope and I see someone trying to teach themselves and, you know, maybe that person hasn't got the budget or whatever to, to, to kind of take lessons or this, that and the other or whatever. You see an awful lot of kind of friends trying to teach friends um, on beginner slopes around where we are. And every now and then I'll kind of ski up to someone and just say, hey, how about trying this? You know, you'll see them doing something that's obviously wrong. And you'll say, look, maybe it's going to be easier for you if you try that, you know, it's not, I'm not giving them like the whole package, but I'm just saying, Hey, maybe this is going to make your life easier. And I sometimes yeah. do that as a way of just like, you know, saying, yeah, I was you once, you know, I remember. And maybe this is going to make you, you know, this, this one thing might, you know, hook you in to be a skier for your whole life, you know, and then, then they're in the industry, you know, and then, they can they can sort of be part of sort of general skier numbers. That's really important to me. You know, general participation, um, but those early experiences, what you're saying, is like where you were trying to teach yourself and throwing yourself down black slopes and stuff. That that's that that maybe is what kind of led you into ending up being an instructor.
1: Yeah, I think that that was that was the main the main thing. Uh, I think at least uh, at first, you know. Mm. But uh, uh, then I discovered this this beautiful world of of instructor, of instructoring throughout the world you know, traveling and and working on a um, on, on a mountain like on a daily basis and it's like yeah it's better than than you know a medical office in, in the hospital you know mm-hmm. the medical room so. Um, but yeah, definitely. I do the same, you know. I, when when I'm in the beginner slope, and I see a lot of people trying to 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 learn by themselves, and they have a hard time, I, I always try to help a little bit, you know. I don't give a free lesson, of course, but I yeah. just some tips to to really uh, change uh, the way they or or yeah, their their the, the time they're they're having there because they're having a bad time actually. So yeah. just one, two tips so they can uh, they can change you know the, the, the at least increase the level of enjoyment they, they have it because mm. uh, I think that that's the key you know the the first mm. lesson the first two lessons are are key in, in, in the de- development of a, of a skier you know I mean, mm. it's like a huge wall at first for for everyone I think uh, and once you get past that wall uh, then it becomes easier, you know. But uh, anyway, I well, think that um, uh, um, there's sorry, uh, uh, tons of intermediate uh, yeah. skiers in, in the world. And and uh, I think that well, it said that uh, only 10% of skiers uh, are able to carve a turn, you know, mm-hmm. only 10% of all skiers in the world. So, and that's what got me. You no, the yeah. carving. Yeah, yeah, the feeling. I think right. that uh, yeah. uh, the the levels of the skiers before you can carve a turn, it's just steps in the progression, but just to get to the, the carving level, I think on uh, at least on on best uh, skiing, you know? mm. So it's a shame that ninety percent of the skiers of the world uh, could not feel this incredible feeling and sensations that came with the carving. Yeah. The current, so um, um, I think that uh, when most of the skiers, when they can you know ski the whole mountain, you know, all the pistes, yeah. uh, they like kind of uh, stop trying to, to get better and better, you know, uh, the majority because there's, there's a lot of ski lessons, uh, too, but yeah. um, so when you go to Particularly in, well, in Europe, I think it's um, there's a, a lot of uh, people skiing and a lot of uh, intermediate skiers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so, yes, uh, that's pretty much it, yeah. Okay. It's quite an interesting thing that you said earlier because I think it is really, it's incredibly relevant and it's something that I've kind of written down often. Um, we've used some of it in our marketing, but the... the 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 sheer amount of stuff that it takes to get that initial skier to the mountain to get them, you know, first they've got to make a decision that they want to, to ski. Then they've got to work out which resort they're going to, who they're going to ski with, who they're going to learn with, got to get all the equipment, they've got to hire the equipment, buy the lift ticket. That's it. All of this stuff has to happen before that person ends up standing in front of you and i often say this to my guys like there's there's a lot of there's a lot that goes on to get that person to just be standing there in front of you and for a lot of people it's a really 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 big step for them to be there and the least we can do the absolute minimum that we can do is to give them a really really good lesson right when they arrive in front of us because it's taken yeah. so much for that person to be there and to get there. And, you know, if your instructor, it um, does, certainly doesn't happen in my ski school, but like, you know, instructor turns up hung over or doesn't really fancy it or as, you know, whatever, it's just not acceptable. You know, you just go there, like this person's put a lot of effort and a lot of money and a lot of time to be there. And you've got to make those, well, every lesson, but those especially those initial lessons. You've got to get like the magic to happen quite quickly because you've got to get them to understand why so many people are doing this thing that we all love. You know.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. I I think that um, the the effort uh, um, a skier has to make in order to 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 be skiing, you know, it's it's huge, it's huge, so they deserve the best for an instructor, of course.
0: Yeah, skiing Um, is one of those sports, you know, that comes with a lot of equipment and a lot of stuff, you know, the stupid boots and skis and the poles and all the stuff, and like, I don't know, I used to play cricket back in England when I used to live there, and that's also another sport that's got like a lot of stuff, you know, you end up carrying this massive bag with you, and golf's the same, you know, you've got all this stuff, and, you know, it's, it's a real hassle to go skiing. You know, you're, you're, not, you're in a big car to put all your things in. And, and uh, like I say, like it's just, it's a big effort for people to get there and, and we as instructors should remember that, you know. I really feel yeah. strongly about that. Yeah, definitely,
1: definitely. You know, uh, when, you, when you, you start to ski, um, it's really uncomfortable, it's true. And mm-hmm. I always tell my clients, uh, it's true and uh, that's the way you just feel right now at first it feels really uncomfortable really difficult mm. uh but trust me it's gonna get better way much better so um because it's true you know boots are rigid heavy mm. skis are heavy uh, you, you have a hard time trying to move yourself and, and not falling down yeah. uh but that's the way it is you know um then when, when you get to a level where you have control of yourself, you can make a turn and break whatever you want. Mm. Then it starts like a path of, uh, never ending enjoyment. And the better you ski, the more control you have. Yeah. And, Easier it becomes. Yeah, the more pits you can, yeah. you can do. And, and you, you, you're not going to stop enjoying, uh, in, in, in this like sport, uh, never you know um so but it's important to know and let the, the, the students know that it's really difficult at first it's really i, I don't mean difficult it's really uncomfortable at first it's really yeah. like uh mm, yeah different to yeah what yeah, used to. Like aliens, so, you know? yeah. But, but it's beautiful you know sliding down the bottom on the first skis, just like i don't know it's the is the most best. Uh, s- uh, similar feeling to, to freedom that I've ever had so yeah, um, yeah. it's yeah you, you should keep trying and and the first one or two lessons are key uh, uh, so you can you can uh, s- uh, learn to ski faster of course but safer mm-hmm. as well. That's really important because uh, an, an injury and, and the first uh, day of skiing it's like okay, the skier would say, okay, uh, I'm not going to ski anymore. It's too difficult, too dangerous. And so the people shouldn't do what I did when I was, young, but um, I think that, yeah, the first two lessons are key. And then uh, you should like ski a lot and do a lot of kilometers to skiing and take some lessons, you know, in between so you can improve, you know, because I think a lot of people take lessons in, in the beginners, yeah. Uh, uh stage and and then they just don't take any more they think that they can ski by their own but it's really important to, to take a lesson in while you know um it's very very important because um the the skiing technique um i think it's uh it's yeah it's kind of like a, a cornerstone in, in in your enjoyment, I think. Yeah. So, the more you ski, the, the better you ski, uh, the the more you enjoy. It's definitely just as simple as that. Yeah. So, if you want to uh, enjoy more, uh, uh, you should try to go a little, a uh, step further, you know?
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. There is, there is a thing, apparently, in snowboarding. Like, they, they, you see this often. You know, the guys, that they, they learn how to snowboard, they turn left and right, and then they're gone. They, in... Within snowboarding, there doesn't seem to be the same culture of taking lessons to perfect your technique. It, it strikes me that like once you learn, then they just go, and they don't really worry too much about kind of the I don't even know what the word is in English for it. Like the the, the this sort of general culture of improvement over time. Now, it's quite a big generalization because there probably are people that do, you know, take regular snowboard lessons, but it's certainly not as common as ski lessons, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Mm. Well that's why in the industry, you know, of, of ten lessons you have like eight or nine of skiing and mm. and one or two of snowboard. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: true. We're gonna try and reinvent that this summer. I think we're gonna launch like a sort of snowboarding section of my ski school. And um, oh, yeah. yeah, just to kind of see where it goes. Really, it strikes me that it's underserved, and it's uh, there is a there is a certain section of of. I still think snowboarding is quite co- sort of counterculture. It's quite. It's, it's got quite. It, it can't be sold in the same way as skiing. Skiing is like, you know, it's different. Um, they're two completely different things. Two different, completely different ways of getting around. But I think. It needs I don't know like I think there's room for kind of seeing where you could go with a, a sort of snowboard specific school but I guess we'll see. Um, what I was going to ask you though was that so then you you finished your medical studies and then at the same time you were roughly getting the entrance exams to go into the Argentine um, ski instructor system. What What does that look like? like how did how was what was your journey through that system like? Well.
1: Um... You know, Argentina uh, Ski Instructor Association, it was founded in, like, uh, 1972, Mm -hmm. if if I'm correct. Um, It has its, uh, like, headquarters in in the city of Bariloche. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, It's a member of the ISIA. Yeah. and, And InterSki as well. Um... You know, Argentina ski instructor system has, like, five levels of instructor qualifications. Okay. Uh, when you finish level three, you become a fully certified instructor. Okay. And level four and level five are just postgraduate degrees, you know?
2: Yeah. Um,
1: level four is to become a demonstrator of the Argentinian ski instructors' Uh, association technique mm-hmm. and Level five is to become a professor, you know an, an instructor of instructors. Okay um, once you enter the Academy uh, and take the level one course you first have to pass an, an entrance an entrance exam
2: okay.
1: of your own scheme and This exam it's pretty high level uh, You should be uh, very advanced gear to in order to pass it. And also level three and level four. Level four have um, entrance exam as well mm-hmm. to to be able to to take each one of the of the courses.
2: Okay.
1: You know? Yeah. Um, each level takes approximately uh, one year to get done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh each level has more than Three hundred and fifty hours of, of classes, mm-hmm. uh, between on snow and indoor classes. You know. Yeah. So there, there are they're uh, uh, quite long. Uh, yeah. You know, courses. Um. The each level uh consists of like three main subjects or, or, or parts, uh, a technique or or skiing part, mm-hmm. uh, a teaching. Part and and the practice uh, part, it, uh, it's like uh, 120 hours of, of ski lessons, like an internship in, in a ski school. Okay, you know? yeah, with you. So uh, they are very good, um, and that's why I think that uh, the Argentinian instructors are. Very well uh, known in the world and, and recognized, and it's kind of uh, easy for us to, to get a job abroad. Yeah. Um, so, uh, with level one and level two, uh, you can only work uh, in a ski school, uh-huh. a ski school. And with level three, uh, you can work as an independent
0: instructor. Okay. okay. Um,
1: so, yeah, that's uh, pretty much it.
0: Okay. And and how was your your journey through that system? I mean, was it, how did you find it? Were, were you, did you find it a, a breeze or was it, you know, did you get stuck in certain places? What was your, what was your sort of journey through like? Like.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm currently taking the number three. Course. Okay. Um, in though at first uh i trained a lot to to be able to take the the entrance uh, test for the for the level one mm-hmm. uh i trained a lot uh i had some friends that were telling me okay go ahead take it you're gonna pass it and i said no no i, I want to train a little bit more so
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh maybe i could have uh taken it like three or four years before i actually did but that's the way I am, you know, I went, I wanted to take it uh, with a certain skin level that, uh, that I, I allow me to, to enter, you know, like easily or uh, to have a lot of chances to, to, to not to, yeah, to, to pass it actually. So, um, the, at first, it was, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't easy, but it was like normal, and, uh, and level one, uh, when I was at, at the course, uh, it was difficult again, because uh, I mean, the the instructors, you know, the, the level five uh, instructors of Argentina, uh, uh, yeah, they changed the way you ski in, in, in a lot of ways, so, it was difficult to, to get used to it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it was very re- rewarding, you know? The, the Argentinian ski instructors, uh, technique, um, it's, uh, called the compensation technique. Right. And it's a way of skiing, uh, in which, uh, the skier, like, uh, takes advantage of the external forces, uh, and, uh, mechanical characteristics yeah of the of the equipment and the snow mm-hmm. and this Argentina's skin structures uh, technique has like three main principles number one efficiency you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: use the the least effort or movements uh, to get to the desired outcome or, or trajectory yeah um. Yeah, taking advantage of of that external forces. The second principle, uh, it's the the straight path of the center of mass in transition. You know, like a flexed transition. Yeah. Uh, without raising the
0: the center of mass. So there's a um, there's a low crossover all the time.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: That's yeah. a that's a, that uh, a thing that they do
1: because they they think it's the most efficient way. Okay. Uh so really flexing that outside leg and, and rolling that outside foot, you know, all outside foot. Yeah. Uh in order to to let you go and cross. Um because kind of you release yeah, and you get help of the of the inertial forces of the previous turn, you know, in order to yeah. to, to transition. Agree. And the third principle of, of this technique is the the optimum uh, loading of the of the skis. So uh, that's the way they they ski. Mm-hmm. and it was a little bit difficult for me to adapt that technique, uh but I improved a lot and, and learned a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, and it was very good. Um level two, I had like after doing level one, I went to, I went back to Buenos Aires area, and then I lived like uh, for five, six years there. So uh, I didn't practice the the profession of scale structure. I was living in Buenos Aires and being a doctor alone. Mm-hmm. And then when I got back again to level zone uh, to live, I I couldn't take the level two like for three or four years in a row because of interest. So Okay. I was like, I don't know, <laughs> man, give me a break. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, I guess I am sometimes, yeah. But I did it, I finally took the level two and passed it and, and now I'm working up my, my level on, on my level three, uh, yeah, stage.
0: Okay, so let's go a little bit into this kind of compensation um, strategy or whatever you want to call it, like the, the, the philosophy me yeah, so the efficiency of movement I can kind of understand so that would be similar to kind of the Swiss concept I guess of dynamic balance you know do what you need to do to balance and, and you know don't necessarily add in anything more that you don't need um, that that I can I could sort of understand is there is there is there anything else they talk about with regards to efficiency of movement?
1: Well uh, yeah, uh, the approach is um, to do the amount of uh, efforts uh, or the least amount of, of effort and movements uh, in order to get to that outcome, you know, to mm. in order to, if you want to do this, okay, do it with the most uh, efficiency, yeah. you know, um, with the less work. So uh, you can, you have to take advantage of the forces. Mm -hmm. And with efficiency, uh, and it's true, and I agree with that, Uh, if you ski efficiently, you can ski more, you know, in a way, because you get less tired, and you can ski a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, that's the Argentinian ski instructors' association technique, you know. Uh, I think that when you ski, you can, you can use, uh, a few more tools, you know, yeah. if you, if, if, if you follow me, like, um, I think that, uh, it, I think it's very good that, uh, countries have like, uh, ski instructors, uh, associations of different country has their own technique. Mm-hmm. But I think that skiing it's, uh, it's way more than that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. For example, I all, you can, you can like, um, use more tools because if, if if you watch World Cup skiers, you know, uh, that from my point of view or from my perspective, they are the best in the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, their, their, their goal is to go fast, no?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but they use a lot of words. They, they, they don't use only flex transitions. It depends. On, it depends on, um, on, on the moment the time they have to make the turn the or whatever you know uh, i i don't think that it's uh one in high level scheme, you know and one technique is better than the other
2: no, I, I think that's yeah, just yeah. like yeah. tools
1: you know yeah uh, you should use all the tools you have you know so i think that uh I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, another Argentinian instructor that's a little older than me Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, winter. And he told me, you know, um, like skiing or ski instructors association, uh, it's the the only sport like, for example, uh, in tennis, it would be like, I don't know, the tennis uh, instructors association of, I don't know, France mm-hmm. would say, okay, we only play tennis using the slice shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why, you know, <laughs> you can use the, the top spin shots, the, the smashes in, in different tools for different situations. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, that's really mm-hmm. something interesting to talk about a lot, but uh, I, I know that uh, each country has to like, uh, I don't know. Get recognized or or, or tell everyone what's the best uh, ski technique mm. for them. Yeah. There is, but I think that uh, in in real skiing you have to use all the tools available. You know, it's just uh, 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 regarding transitions. Both both are right. You know, Italians do a lot of. Uh, of uh, extended they, transitions, they, you know? they ski sure beautifully, aggressively. Yeah. They have uh, all, all the, almost all the instructors have a strong racing background. Mm-hmm. They're in Italy, so uh, I love their skiing. And they don't use the flex transitions at all. Uh, they can do it, of course, but uh, they they do the extended ones and they do it beautifully
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and efficiently, of course. So um, that's what I what, what what I wanted to to say no.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I, well there's a few things that come out of that. So so I think different instructor uh, systems come up because of you know certain needs and and what they focus on tends to be whatever is important to them as a nation. So like I, you could see why certain things are in certain instructor systems you know you could see why the british one for example would be you know a really low level for level 1 because you know you've got a bunch of people who are teaching indoors on you know artificial snow and you only need a certain level of skill because those you know those clients are not going to you're essentially it's like a machine right you're pushing people through a machine in order to teach them to learn them how to ski and therefore that level one instructor doesn't need to know everything, you know, whereas in a, maybe an Alpine nation, say you talk about, I don't know, uh, you talk about Italy or something, you could see why they would have something like the Eurotest as the entry into their system because they have an awful lot of kids that have, you know, done racing all their lives and, and you know, that would seem to them maybe the logical way in. Um, so different, I think different countries have different, different reasons for, for for doing what they do um, and then some of it is kind of stylistic and I think some of it is just, you know, it's just, I, it really struck me when reading through kind of the British and the Swiss textbooks, it's like, well, a lot of this is just people putting academic names and physics models and stuff on the top of what we already do on the mountain. So, that, you know, that's what you get in the textbooks, right? It's like models, and this is the reason why this is happening. And it's just you've seen enough textbooks, I imagine, in your medical training as well to understand that it's just kind of academics putting labels on stuff. Um, so there is that as well. And, and you know, each, each nation does it differently, and they do whatever works best for them, I'm guessing. Um with your regards to the comments about the World Cup, yeah, absolutely. I think the World Cup is, is kind of the most efficient form of movement that, that, that you can get. There's no one in there doing anything stylistically just for the sake of it. The guys in there are just doing whatever it is that they need to do in order to make the next gate. And so in many ways that's the purest form of skiing. Um, and I think we if you talk back to if you have a look back through some of these podcast listener, you'll hear me talking to John Olsen about the cross-under move. And he was saying that the Italian, I think it was the Austrian. one of the Austrian national team coaches was saying to him that the cross-under move is like a bit of a fast recovery move when you haven't got time to set the turn up properly. Um, mm-hmm. As opposed, you know, because it gets the skis from one side to the other real fast um, without, without kind of losing any time you know, if you're a bit late for a gate or something, that's when you'd use that. Um, yeah. But I don't know, I don't know why they would, I'm confused as to why the Argentines would be interested in cross-under as just a thing that they do, as opposed, as opposed to like one tool in their armory, you know, one tool that they could use in any given situation.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what, what, uh they they think or they say uh, to us the the students it's like it's the most efficient way to to transition because you let the forces the external forces to help you okay you know yeah uh so you make a direct path of the center of mass yeah so you don't race, you know Mm -hmm. and that's the um but um i think that the cross under you know it's uh quite tiring. I think if you if you ski with the all the time with the cross under transition like doing the slalom turns for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. It's really tiring, you know. It's yeah. really tiring. Yeah. Uh, but it's faster. Definitely. Definitely yeah. it's faster. It's the the fastest way of, of transition on skis, I think. Mm. And and yes, I agree with uh, the different countries uh Take like a different approach, you know. The U.S. is really different uh, to that. Here in Argentina, we have a, a very high level entrance test mm-hmm. to skiing test. But um, I think, and th- this is my opinion, you know, uh, that the skiing uh, skills in the in ski instructor are very important, but are not the most important skills, you know i I think that the the social skills you know the communicational skills are way much important than the skiing you know uh, I agree that you have to have a certain skiing level you know, pretty good uh, but i I keep seeing the the, the most success successful instructors uh, I, I, i've come to to met uh, are the not, not, not the better skiers, you know They're they're just the the ones that are really, uh, you know, uh, beautiful people to to have a chat with, you know. Mm -hmm. They're uh, passionate. They're, like, encourage you. And, and, and yeah, they make you have a great time. And they're very successful. They have a lot of of, of lessons, you know. And uh, interestingly, interestingly, they're not the, the best skiers in the mountain. So, what the industry needs uh um instructors that ski perfectly down the mountain or instructors that really uh make their students have the best time possible in order to to keep having lessons and improving and mm. and, and making this industry work uh grow sorry yeah um so it, it's important I, I i see that uh in, in all of the skill instructors uh, associations, I see that the the skill, uh, you know, the skill level, it's, it's the, the most important uh, filter.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. So uh, I think that we're getting better and, and the social skills and the teaching skills are becoming more important, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think that we can go a step ahead uh, because it's really, I think that it's, um, for a student, it's, it's the most important thing to have a great time with an instructor, you know? Um, and I think that skiing is a thing and teaching skiing, it's a completely different skiing, uh, thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a lot of friends uh, that ski, they're not instructors, but they, they're used to race and, and they ski incredibly good. But, um, they, they don't have the tools uh, to, to communicate that that stuff, you know. So, um, that's what I think that uh we have an I think in, in the world an improvement on that matter, but we can still work on that because I think the school instructors uh, uh keep filtering instructors uh for the on their skiing technique and not their uh ski teaching ability no
0: yeah yeah well i i think i've certainly i've talked about this before it's something that um something that i feel quite strongly enough in that in many instructor systems there isn't enough hours of kind of teaching experience required and there certainly isn't enough focus on Teaching itself within the various modules that you have to go through when you go through the various levels. Um, I always remember when I'm speaking to my wife about golf, and she's like, she still talks about a golf lesson that she must have had, must have been a decade ago, like in Las Vegas somewhere. And she had the most great time with this golf, you know, guy who maybe gave her one or two tips, but apparently he was just like this funny, funny guy told all these jokes, you know, made her feel really good. And every time I hear that story, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's a real lesson. You know, that guy didn't fill his you know, he didn't fill his session full of technical info and he wasn't desperate to kind of necessarily massively improve his client, but his client had a really, really good time to the point where she still talks about the lesson like a decade later, right? And I think we can all learn from that. It's that Actually, the, the the client experience is very, very, very important compared to maybe the content of the lesson. Like if people go away with some element of improvement, that's great. But I think the overall thing is that they have a good time, they feel made welcome, um, you know, and, and that their general overall experience is good. And I think this is something that, that our, our cousins in kind of North America and Canada do very well, is that whole kind of client experience model. As opposed to kind of, we can sometimes get lost as instructors in this kind of you know technical minefield where we're sort of really focusing on getting the client you know to be the best that they could be. When in fact, maybe that's not what they're after at all. You know Maybe they're just after an experience. Um, and that, I think that's a really important thing to remember.
1: Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And Argentina Skin Instructor Association is very good at, at the teaching uh, part, you know, mm-hmm. at the teaching formation. We have a lot of hours of, of teaching, and, and that's why I think that Argentinian instructors are very well known and recognized in the world because the Argentinian skin instructor system, uh, yeah, uh, give a lot of importance to, to the teaching part of the... Yeah. of the key instructor's work. And yeah, um, I, I completely agree. Argentina has like a three principles of, uh, of uh, when you give a lesson that number one is safety, of course, mm-hmm. you know, the most important. Number second is to have fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And number third is to, to learn, uh, you know, so in that order, in that strict order. So if you're safe, uh, you're having fun and you grab a few, you new know, things uh, of, of technique that's mm. that's the main goal I think that's the that's what the industry needs I think of ski of instructors uh, work or performance yeah
0: yeah I agree let me take you a little bit back to the the the, um, the third one uh, which you talked to me about earlier which is about optimum loading of the ski I know we were just talking yeah. about well, this is obviously technical compared to teaching we were just talking about but like the optimal loading of the ski what, what what are the things that come out of that what do they talk about in with regards to how how one would load a ski optimally in any given turn
1: yeah um, you know when when you're making a turn you can uh, use just your body weight and the inertial forces to to you know to curve or to deform the ski Mm-hmm. Or for example, you can push with the leg, you know, as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you're skiing, sometimes uh, too aggressive for the 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 surface, and the surface it's a little bit softer. Um, if you if you go too aggressive on the outer ski, you can lose the outer ski. Mm-hmm. So, they 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 talk about the optimal loading of the skis. In order to don't break that relationship between the the tool, the equipment, the ski, and the snow, you know that's what they what, what they're talking about. Um, so the optimum loading of the ski is the just make uh, the load uh, that you need in order to make uh, the turn you want to make. I don't know if I'm clear. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm I'm with you so far. I think everyone else is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That that's uh, pretty much it.
0: Okay. So it's putting then. I suppose you could say in another way, it's putting in only the inputs that you need to get the outcome of whatever turn it is that you're trying to create.
1: Yeah, that's that's accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the it's very important. Uh, not to break the relationship between the ski and the snow, mm-hmm. you know. So, if, if you pass that optimum loading, uh, you, you have the risk of breaking that relationship, and and you can you can have a hard time, you know. Yeah. So um, and it happens a lot, you know, uh, but like. In every aspect of skiing you know for example for after balance it's a it's a beautiful topic that I love uh, to, to, to teach because skiing is a dynamic sport you know you, you, you're not a static so uh, for after balance is not static uh, you have to commit and go forward at the beginning of the turn to really know that and engage that shovel of the of the new outside ski but it's normal physically that during the turn you start to go back and you finish the turn with your weight just a little bit back, you know, most mm-hmm. on 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 your heels and and that's that's normal and that's the way it goes. Uh, and you have to take advantage of that and always when you finish the turn try to go forward again for the next one. But uh, full after balance is not a static; it's dynamic. Mm. Yeah, you cannot be at the front. Of the boot all the time and you shouldn't you know uh, because if you are always forward you know the tails of the skis always uh, skid yeah. and yeah. If, wanna, if you want to carve or do a very uh, performance uh, turn you have to use the whole tool the whole ski mm-hmm. the tip the shovel the middle and the tail and so a lot of students, uh, you know, are uh, get a little bit sad because they say I'm back. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and that's normal at certain parts of the turn. You shouldn't be back all the time, but it's normal to be back at the at the end of the turn and even in the transition. If you take a look at Marcel Hirscher, mm. uh, the best skier of all time, from my point of view. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you. Yeah. and you watch him skiing. Uh, his transitions are very well known and, and well recognized as the sitting in the toilet transition because he's back. He's really back. Yeah. But what does he do? He gets forward and, and he really is centered in, in the fall line. That's it for me. It's the, the the most important part of the, of the skiing term. You know yeah. what happens in the fall line. Um, so he's able to really go forward and be centered when you when he applies all the pressure to the skis that it's in the phone line. So, um, so, okay, I, I think I I, <laughs> <laughs> I to along, but, Um no, that's all right. One of the things I was going to, about to my-
0: say about that actually was um is a bit of a tangent, but it's something that I hadn't finished off from a previous podcast. So, so I'm this winter I experimented with. Um, thanks to Phil Brown for this, but I experimented with some, um, two things. So one was moving myself forward and backwards along the ski with binding. So, you know, moving myself anywhere in some skis, almost up to, I think I went eight mil forward. Um, So I talked to Phil Brown about this, but I also talked to, uh, what's his name, Tom Gelly, about this, uh, who was also experimenting with similar things. And so moving myself along the ski a little bit to move myself closer to maybe more of like a centre mount. And then mm-hmm. the other one was uh, like lifting up, so putting a two-mil riser underneath the toes, the, the toe binding. And, uh, That's a bit long. Yeah, that made a big, big difference actually um, because what I was able to do, I found quite easily was When I was when my toes were lifted up ever so slightly, I automatically had um pressure on the shovels of the skis going into the turn, I didn't have to actually make an extra conscious forward or diagonal forward like dive over the front of the skis in order for them to be hooking up, and so it was just there, it was like ready all the time, ready. Um, And that was a real revelation. So that made a big difference. And then depending on which ski it was, so some skis I took 8mm forward, some skis I only took 4mm forward, and I've got a big set of skis that I'm going to use at the moment for next year just for fun, which is like a 195 ski, but I'm going to move those forward like 20mm to get closer to the pivot point. And um, that made a massive difference in terms of fore aft in terms of being able to get there was that was definitely two mil under the toe piece riser. But I was using, I think they were Tyrolea bindings, which normally have like a four mil difference between the heel. So in fact, I was probably only two mil out between the heel and the heel and the toe, but it was, um, it made a huge difference. That it's really, really interesting to kind of mess around with my equipment in that way and see what effect that it had.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's, really, uh, how, how many millimeters do you have? I went, so to? I was on a, well, so I then went into this also, you know, looking at this. So it was, it was a case of apparently like Austrian skis generally set the boot center mark is generally set a little bit back. So if you're on yeah. Austrian ski, you could go, I went initially four mil forward um, and then I went eight mil forward uh towards the set, you know towards the centre of the ski and that made a big difference really big difference to, to, to how the ski performed it felt like it wanted to turn more so than that I don't know they the I sort of felt like I had a a more of ability to rotate the ski than I did when it was further back it felt like locked into the turn it wouldn't didn't want to turn in properly when i had it further back so i moved it for you know eight mil forward in the end on certain skis made a big difference to how they turned and then yeah and then the toe piece riser i put it under the toe piece two mil piece of plastic you can use anything so you know it doesn't have to be a specific riser for your ski but it, it, it you know it could just be a, um, a Ski scraper or something like that anything that's just a bit of plastic that you can drill under there and um, And that made a massive difference, but that was me using a Tyrolia binding and a head wrap to boot So your your own mileage may vary on that, you know uh, Depending on what your setup is, but it really worked for me in terms of what I was doing and it also the other thing that it gave me was um, a much greater, this is the toe riser, it gave me a much, much greater range of movement. It's bizarre. Like a, I had a huge extra range of movement vertically because all of my range of movement in my ankle wasn't already used up. So it opened up some ankle movement, uh, ankle uh, flexibility. So I was able to flex more. And also it took all the pressure off of my lower back when I was skiing, which was it's just amazing. With just a two mil piece of plastic. Extraordinary.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, when when I was uh, training to become an instructor and mm. to take the the entrance test of the of the level one. Well, yeah. Uh, I I really uh, worked with that a lot with a four act mountain of the skis, mm. and that's true. in in. You know, in, in the skis, the, the, the Austrian brands tend to mount the bindings uh, for the general skiers uh, a little bit uh, to the rear yeah. if you compare them to the, to the French. That's uh, right. The brands. French ones
0: are closer to uh, the middle. Yeah. But
1: for general uh, skiing, if you go strictly uh, strict racing... Um, racing skis, uh, FIS and and that stuff, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's not the case. They're mountain pretty similar, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm using uh, mostly the the Fisher uh, Slalom FIS skis Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. 165, and uh, uh, there was the recommended mountain position, and I had only uh, one hole available to Mm -hmm. go. To the front. Okay. And uh, that was like a half centimeter yeah. uh, distance, and I wanted to try uh, to go the most forward I could. I could be on that ski, but I didn't like it. It was like a huge difference, you know. The, yeah. the tails would like hook all the time. It was impossible to ski the turn. Yeah. Uh, and with just uh five millimeter of of, of difference, uh, but it was too much forward and. Yeah. So the the recommended position was for me, for my body, and for my height. Uh, from mm. uh, my body uh, composition it was it was the best. So I think that it's def- I don't know why, but uh, the Austrian brands uh, for the general public skis uh, tend to mount uh, the 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 bindings a little bit, uh, you know, uh, to the rear. Mm. Uh, and when you change that uh, a little. Amount of change uh, makes a huge difference on, on your skin mm-hmm. and, and, and your, your feelings. It's it's incredible uh, uh, But it's it's really uh, It's really something and now I'm trying to to play with the uh, with the gas pedaling too
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I'm almost flat on my on my um, on my bindings right now mm-hmm. um, The not the ramp angle of, of the boot because the boot has just one ramp angle, uh, also, but on the bindings, i uh, I think it's called the delta angle, I'm flat, yeah. Um, but um, I want to try to gas pedal a little bit because uh, I've seen a lot of uh, uh ski racers they had some gas pedaling on their slalom skis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some French guys that I work with, uh, they have uh, Almost four millimeters of gas pedal. It was a lot, yeah, I but um, I think it, it depends a little bit on on your your body, your technique. But I think that's really something. It's really something interesting to to play, you know, uh, because it uh, that small changes two millimeters up in the top can make a huge difference in skiing. Uh, so that's something that skiing has. Only, you know, that uh, also, sorry, that um, the equipment is so much important uh, uh, so that you have to, you have to try different things because, uh, I don't know, a lean in, in the boots, it's yeah. a very important aspect because uh, you you can f- have a good time with the right amount of following lean or you can feel like always in the backseat and, and impossible to load the, the shovel of the skis yeah. uh, and the difference. It's just the degrees of forward lean that uh, you definitely have to uh, play around with. You know, it's a it's a trial and error, I think, because all everybody you know have a different body, uh, and you have to try. You know, go a little bit forward, go a little, a little bit backwards. Just try, experiment. I think uh, that's very very important you know i i i don't go uh to the mountain to ski if if i don't have my real spoilers on my liners of my boots for example yeah. you know
2: yeah
1: uh it's like day and night for me so it's really important and, and a lot of people a lot of colleagues don't, don't don't even know what the real spoiler is you know so then they never tried it and mm. uh, and so I agree with you one hundred percent. It's very important to experiment and, and do a lot of trial and error with your equipment because the differences that it makes—it's—they are just
0: huge. Yeah, you can also make big differences for your clients as well. I think I, I did I did some experimenting with a couple of our regular clients as well. You know, I've seen clients who's—it's very obvious looking at their skis that they're mounted too far to the back and they can't get the ski to turn, or whatever. And so I've said to that, you know, ask those people like, right, what we need to do here is just move the ski, move you along the ski a little bit. And it's made a huge difference to their ability to turn it. Um, Absolutely huge. And so you can kind of mess around with this stuff. You know, there is there is technique fixes. But if, if they're if they're being blocked by their own equipment, that's something that we as instructors should have have you know a fairly decent knowledge about or certainly we should have a curiosity about it if we're taking our job seriously you know a ski isn't just a ski you know there's there's so many variables that people can have um you know within their own equipment setup or how they're built or how their body is you know like this, it's not as simple as saying you need to stand like this and turn like this it's it's there's, there's more to it than that yeah
1: i completely agree it's yeah. very important yeah. and and particularly on skis you know the, the most important piece of, of ski gear we have yeah. you know uh, the here they, they always say that a good skier can ski well with uh, with uh just every ski but not with with, with any boots
0: yeah well uh, that's true yeah yeah I if you put myself
1: it. on a on a i don't know two two numbers uh you know a uh, bigger Large boot, uh, I I can barely ski, you know. So yeah, yeah. um, it's it's very important, and and, and the beginners, uh, we tr- tend to like uh put all the effort in regarding ski boots in, in the in the comfort, and, but um we don't have to go you know too loose because the the control, you know, uh one of the cornerstones on my skin was when I. When I finally got uh, a race block uh, boot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the level of, of control that I that I got was amazing. It was a completely different sport for me, you know. I, I got my boots done with uh, uh, a very well renowned uh, boot feeder uh, that is called Jim Lindsay from Aspen, Colorado. Uh-huh. and uh hit in my, my boots and we we went straight to the race block boot uh one hundred and forty long um uh, and it was amazing you know just insane the difference you know it was a different sport for me you know yeah and so um equipment in scheme is really important so you have to, to pay a lot of attention to to it yeah
0: yeah, it's funny that isn't it? When you get because like, what that does actually is it sends you down like a bit of a rabbit hole. Because you think, well, if these boots made such a huge difference, what's the next piece of like equipment that that I can change that's going to make this even better? And then you just never stop. It's like you don't know, kind of what you don't know. Do, do, do you see what I mean? Like, you don't know that you could then take that 140 boot and put a custom liner in it. And then you don't know that you could, you know, there might be another level of that. There might be somewhere else that you could go. There might be another ski that you haven't got that could change your skiing completely. Like, there's so much stuff that maybe the pros know, maybe the World Cup guys know, but, like, we don't know. It's, uh, yeah. you, you see what I mean? Like, it's just it's just a never-ending thing.
1: Yeah, of course, and you need a lot of days on the mountain to try to yeah do this new you do and the stuff set, for modifications. Yeah. So yeah. so it's really difficult for a general skier to to, to, to have all that time available to, to try to modify two millimeters and topies yeah. and go and, and go skiing and then go back. Uh, you, you really have to have uh, time available, you know, to live next to a ski resort or yeah. whatever. Because if not, it's, it's impossible. Uh, but skiing it's a very equipment uh, dependent sport.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, that's for sure. Um, let me move you on towards the end of, uh, of our chat. Um, with your your life in in you know as a doctor in the medical field and skiing, do you get much crossover between the two? Or it might just be a silly question, I don't know, but like, is there, is there things that you can relate backwards and forwards?
1: Well, um, you know, I I think that uh, for 99% of the doctors uh, out there, it's uh, kind of impossible to, to do both things on, on a regular basis. I mean, being a doctor and being a ski instructor, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, regular doctors work a lot. Uh, they, they kind of live in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, but um, when, when I finished the medical school, uh, I knew that that was just not for me, you know?
0: Ah, oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: The the way I, I like to live my life was very different than, than that. So, um, what, yeah, I had to, like... Uh, for me having time available to, to, to do, the, do the things i love was like a no-brainer so mm. um, i found this uh, medical specialty that allowed me to to have time available to be a skin instructor as well uh, what i do is called uh, occupational medicine yeah and i work with uh, health insurance companies as uh, an independent service uh, provider uh-huh. um, i worked i worked as a doctor for six months a year and the other six months i'm a skin instructor okay so uh yeah that's pretty much it and um and i try to keep both uh professions separate yeah uh of course i'm doctor and and i'm a person who cares for the others and whatever happens and in, in, in the ski resort, you know, next to me or whatever, an injury or whatever, I, I try to help, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, that's not my job. And and, and I, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, legally, like, uh, allowed to, to practice the medicine in, in, in the resort as well. So, mm. uh, but um, I, I always try to... Keep both professions separate, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, um, what has uh, le- uh, a lot in common uh, with scheme mm-hmm. is uh, the level of, of, uh, I think, of, uh, studying, uh, the, the techniques or, or the little things, you know, pay attention to the little details, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, and 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 like a doctor, uh, you need to have that social skills too. You know, you 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 listen a lot to your patients. You you talk to them a lot, so you need to be able to to have a very good communicational skills. You know, mm. and, and in and instructoring is, is just the same. It's very important to 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 be a good listener to explain well uh, what do you think uh, wh- what do you think are the best options uh, for them you know um ski ski students uh, always have their goal of the of the ski lesson you know mm-hmm. you, you always have to ask for you know to do, uh, wh- what would you like to get uh, on the ski lesson um but you have to give your, your input, too, and, and if the goal is set too high, you have to sell them too, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's really important to be successful, to have a, a goal that uh, you both uh, can reach. So, uh, again, I think that uh, communication uh, is everything, you know, in life uh, in general, I think.
0: Yeah, okay, perfect. Alright, um, well look, I'm conscious that uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time, I've, I've also got to shoot off, uh, I've got a, a football class to, to go, or I've got a team to prepare, they've got a match next week, but the, um, where could, if people wanted to ski with you this coming Argentinian um, winter, and then obviously in the, in the Northern Hemisphere winter, like where, how do people get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: Okay, I have a, I have a website, uh, actually, that I, I made myself because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now learning to, to be a, a web developer, mm-hmm. programmer. Okay. And then you can check it out and, and get in touch with me. Uh, my website URL address is uh, www. Uh, my nickname and my last name is uh, Fede. Fede, yeah. Uh, ski.com, that is F E D E W E N Z E L, ski.com. Better one ski.com and you can get in touch uh, with me. Uh, I have a lot of uh, clients that uh, came, they come from abroad mm-hmm. uh, to ski here because Bangladesh uh, is a, it's a beautiful place. It's very affordable for mm. foreign travelers. That's uh, very important to. To, to get uh, to know you know yeah uh it's very affordable uh because of the high exchange rate that we have you know yeah yeah and and it's beautiful and I, I work in, in a beautiful resort called San Benito Moreno uh that has uh, snow available until the the, the last uh, parts of October and and it's a beautiful kind of a, a medium sized resort uh here in the in the Antus mountains in the Patagonia that, uh, that it's uh, really worth really it to to come here and get to know this this part of the world. So yep, yeah, you can you can connect with me through through my website and that would be great.
0: All right, sounds terrific. Where are you um have you got a plan as to where you're gonna head to for the uh the Northern Hemisphere winter? Are you coming back to Europe um, or are you off stay? Yeah, the States?
1: Th- I'm going back to Italy, yeah. Um I, I want to because I, I went to Italy without uh, uh, Italian language level yeah. at all you know, I couldn't say mm, just a word in, in Italian uh-huh. but I came back from Italy with an intermediate Italian so okay. I really want to improve that yeah. so I'm definitely going back, I had, I had a great time there working at the Barilevas School, uh, it's a beautiful place in the Dolomites uh, the people, it's just great, uh, you know, the director, uh, the, the, the secretaries, the, my colleagues, it, it was a, a, a beautiful experience, so I'm really going to go back. And then, I don't know, I, I want to get to know, you know, as, as, as many ski resorts in the world as I, as I can, so um, maybe Switzerland too that's a a good possibility for another YouTube. I I really want to go there. So um, I will keep moving for sure.
0: Ah, That's cool, man. That's really cool. Hey, well, look, um, I'll I'll put some, um, I'll put in the, in in the, uh, the podcast notes, your, your website address in case anybody wants to find you. And uh, I thank you so much for uh, taking the time to have a chat with me today. It's really cool. Okay. No, thank
1: you very much, Dave. Uh, uh, I had a great time and Really, I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about the Argentinian scheme that that it's uh, for me, it's just like uh, everything, but in the world, it's not really uh, not uh, well known as I would love to. Um, uh, so thank you very much. I had a great time and talk to you soon.